It's ironic that in an era of big data, truth sometimes seems more elusive than ever. To make better choices about how we manage our lives, our work, and our environment, we need to use the best possible information. Even our most rational examinations of the data are fundamentally human, shaped by systems, culture, experience, and our internal biases. In this podcast, we explore the processes of how data becomes information, information becomes knowledge, and knowledge becomes belief, and how, in turn, belief shapes the way we take and interpret data. Experts across disciplines will help us examine how our understanding changes as we learn more and how fields self-correct. We're here to find out not just what we know, but how we know it. This is How Do You Know? Hello and welcome to How Do You Know? The podcast where we explore the numbers behind your beliefs. I'm Christy Balai. And this is our first podcast. So are you excited? I'm excited. I thought that for our first podcast, we could talk a little bit about why we have a podcast and how we even got here. I am a professor of computational ecology at Kent State University and an all-around data enthusiast. I started this podcast from an idea that's been baking for a while in my mind, Really, I think a lot about what data is and what data means in my work. And I think a lot about the people behind the data and the questions they're asking and what it means to interpret data. So I started out my academic path as an undergraduate in physics. So I was the mathy, the modely type of person who really got into a lot of equations and stuff, but I found that physics just wasn't for me. And so I ended up working in an environmental biology lab, rearing flies for a graduate student, and I fell in love with them. I know it's hard to think of being in love with flies, but here we are. And so I ended up doing a master's and a PhD in environmental biology, where I was studying how we could model environmental systems in agriculture, especially the insects in them. And I got really into insect population modeling. Then for my postdoc, I joined a lab at Michigan State connected to the U.S. Long-Term Ecological Research Program. And this really opened my eyes to data produced through this networked approach. So the Long-Term Ecological Research Program is this NSF-funded body, so National Science Foundation-funded body, where sites study ecological systems and how these processes unfold over long periods of time. Many of these sites have been going for 40 years, and because that's beyond what an individual researcher can do, it requires a lot of collaboration and a lot of human wrangling. And so this really made me start thinking about how we really need to think about the humans that produce the data in order to be able to understand it. So I got very involved in the LTR philosophically. I just love this idea where we can be part of something bigger when we put our data together. And through that, I got really involved in the open science movement. So this is the infrastructure and philosophical place where scientists have designed technologies, methods, philosophies to help make science more accessible to people. 
And through that, I got involved um, with the Mozilla Science Lab. Mozilla, of course, are the folks who created the Firefox internet browser, but they are also a tech nonprofit and they work on advocacy associated with a healthy internet, privacy, data use. I started to see these environmental problems from the perspective of tech and data science and these really multidisciplinary methods. When I started working at Kent State University, that was a real catalyst for me. One of the things about working at a smaller university is you actually end up interacting with colleagues in other departments a lot more. And through my position here, I made some really good friends who I hadn't worked with before. I hadn't appreciated the perspectives from their fields before. And so we started talking and I realized that we had a lot of good ideas to put together to look at these systems. And so this is where I met my co-hosts. So Bridget Mulvey is an expert in education and curriculum design. And so she specializes in teaching science and technology teachers how to teach. And Rebecca Cato is a sociologist who studies the sociology of belief in religious and secular communities, and particularly where it comes to scientific beliefs. And so we've had some great conversations, and I'll let them tell you more about their work right now. Hey, y'all, this is Bridget Malvey. I'm an associate professor of science education at Kent State University, and I have a master's degree in geology from Indiana University with a PhD in education from the University of Virginia. So in general, I like science and I like helping people understand and think about science. I've taught science to young children, middle school and high schoolers, and undergraduate students. Now I'm helping to prepare teachers to teach science, and I do research on teachers' and students' understandings of what science and scientists are like. What I'm trying to do is improve students' understanding and consideration of using science in their everyday lives and also think about science careers. I'm also thinking about the consideration of the intersection of what science and scientists are like with ideas about trust in science and decision-making, including decision-making around COVID-19. This podcast is helping me to wrestle with these ideas. So I'm Rebecca Cato, and I'm an assistant professor of sociology at Kent State University. As you might be able to tell from my accent, I'm from the UK, and I moved to the US for this position. I would have previously described myself as a sociologist of religion, but now my interests have expanded and I've, I'm interested in religion, science and belief. So I started off with this interest in religion. I grew up in South London, Catholic, attending Catholic schools funded by the state because I was in you know, weird state and religion relations, Great Britain. And I didn't really have any non-Catholic friends until I was a teenager. Uh, I, I wasn't aware then any anti-Catholic prejudice until then. Uh, then that's really informed part of my interest, my ongoing interest in religion in terms of my own, I'm agnostic now, but I had this experience of growing up within one religious community in allegedly secular modern Britain. So then I went to study theology at Oxford because that was the only way I knew to how to study religion. But then I got exposed to the social scientific study of religion and thought, oh, 
this is the approach that I like. This is how I want to study religion. So then I did a master's in the anthropology and sociology of religion. At, but it was still in a theology and religious studies department at King's College London. Then for my PhD, I moved into sociology and did my PhD in a sociology department. And for my master's, I'd done an ethnographic study of a local Catholic parish and believing in belonging. So you already get that idea of belief coming in. And then for my PhD, I did the first empirical study doing participant observation and interviews with Christian missionaries evangelizing the UK at that time from mainly former British colonies, the Solomon Islands, Kenya, India, Nigeria, and also Latin America, South Korea, places that get got framed within this language of reverse mission. And that really fed my interest in global power relations, race and post-colonialism and religion. Then I moved on to a postdoc, which was on a huge research program about religion and society. So that was a very cross-disciplinary and involved a lot of public engagement, of communication, of research findings. And whilst doing that postdoc, I led my own research grant, which was the first study of young atheists, beliefs and identities. And what really struck me there was how often science came up for them as part of their non-religious identity. So this, that led to this interest in science, religion and non-religion. And I moved to this center for trust, peace and social relations as a research fellow at Coventry University in the UK. Again, very cross-disciplinary, very focused on public engagement. And there with my colleague, Fern Elston Baker, who's a historian and philosopher of science, and Carola Leicht, who's a social psychologist, developed this huge research project on science and religion, exploring the spectrum. And since moving to Kent State, we've moved on to science and religion, exploring the spectrum too. This time it's personal, but not really. It's now in global perspective. And that's including more countries. So it's more international. And again, it's multidisciplinary. So really that's how my research interests have developed to also be interested in science and belief and led me to this podcast where I'm I'm interested in the kind of values and beliefs that go along with scientific practice and epistemologies across disciplines. Did you get the this is now being recorded? Okay, good. All right, now we speak in our NPR voices. <clears throat> NPR voice, NPR voice. There we go. <laughs> Christy's all warmed up and ready now. <laughs> la, 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 la. No, that, that was terrible. I feel like um, I've got pollen affecting my ability to get the NPR voice out. <laughs> I thought for a second we were transitioning our podcast into some sort of musical endeavor and we might begin singing, Christy. I will not sing. I will not sing for this podcast. Hey, we have a podcast joining the millions of others. Happiness, <laughs> Happiness Christy. Pure joy. We can join the trend. We can party like it's 2014. Um, when yeah. yeah, we're jumping on a bandwagon. It's yeah. true. Yeah. And 
I think there's a lot that's going to make it very distinctive and very worthwhile and something that everyone should listen to. I agree. We are a very uniquely interdisciplinary bunch. Exactly. But we're all big data nerds, right? As we should be. Well, <laughs> I mean, oh, Rebecca, you care about data very much. You might not have framed it as a data nerd as Christy does, but you are, you use very rich data for your work. Yep. In this event yesterday with some Christian ethicists, theologians, public health people, lots of people across different disciplines, someone said, you know, the social scientists who crunch the numbers. And I was just like, social scientist, and I don't crunch the numbers. <laughs> I do have rich data. You crunch the people who crunch the numbers. <laughs> That's what we're doing on this podcast. But well, you know, I was thinking about that, how a lot of the, the words that are used in relation to data tend to emphasize and perhaps overemphasize the number side of data. And I just think that's a really interesting thing. And I love that, Christy, when I think about your work, how you're starting to think about like time scales and all these other things that go into it so that it's not really just the numbers telling this story. And, and I know Rebecca cares deeply about, again, that, that storytelling and what is included and excluded. And I think that's really a beautiful thing for us to bring some attention to this the tension of like data is being framed maybe as solely or primarily numbers. And we're just going to complicate the numbers and all other kinds of data in this. And crunch the people who crunch the numbers. Yeah. Mm, it's going to be crunchy. And with the comments, it, I think it reminded me about the kind of stereotypes that we can hold about different disciplines, you know, different subjects, different disciplines from our own that you know just the cliche of that's what they do over there so I think that's part of that like that will be a value of the podcast as well of just opening up to a wider academic audience what's happening what the details the depth of what people are doing in their own fields yeah I agree I also want to interrogate this idea of numbers being the truth so this is something that comes up in my field a lot where we come in on, you know, a mean or a precise number and everyone feels really good about that precise number. But I would argue that precision is not accuracy. So like when you deal with natural systems, numbers, I wouldn't say lie, but they're simplifications. So if you talk about the central tendency of a system and say, you know, people are this tall, on average, that's not telling you what any individual's height is. That's telling you a central tendency. And so that could be not true for any of the people that you measure, but you're using this number to say, this is what a group looks like. And there's some philosophy in that. There's some kind of scary thinking about that because, you know, th this number that we're basing policy on, basing our assumptions about a system on, it's possible that that number isn't true for any individual member. See, I think that's interesting because I start to think about um, then the false sense of security linked to numbers. So I think we tend as a society, scientists, uh, natural scientists, social scientists, and beyond, maybe there's an overarching leaning towards numbers because of the security and this maybe 
false sense of reaching the truth quickly with that number. Whereas we're kind of trying to then say, what about that context? What about the nuance? What about the many ways to make sense of the numbers or other kinds of data? I think we come closer to looking at layers of data, of nuance of data. And then what, again, when we say what counts as data, that already is saying we are leaning towards the numbers. And so for us to problematize that, I think is a really important important contribution to research base. Yeah. My goal is to get people just thinking about what their numbers mean more. What does it mean when they say a number? And what does it mean to other people when they say a number? Our our regulations are around COVID social distancing, for example. We really hung up on the two meters, six feet social distance. And how did we get to those numbers? There were a lot of different things that went into that number. And the, the question always came to mind is, to my mind was, when does this number break down? Like when is six feet not enough or when is six feet too much? There, there's always these error bars around any number that we have about a natural system. And the, the error bars is a whole story, in my opinion. The error bars is the context. The error bars are really, you know, it, it is this solution going to fit for everyone? Or is it going to fall apart for, you know, a portion of the population? And then thinking about the communication of those numbers, when you do need simple public health messaging, in the case of the social distancing guidelines, you know, you need something that people can hold on to and work with simply. So making that translation is certainly a huge challenge. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, Rebecca, I love that you're starting to bring up then this connection of, so there's one part that we're going to look at in the podcast, which is about researchers and treating data, but then there's also the communication with the broader public and the intersection that science and society. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I certainly think that's going to be an aspect to it. And it's something I care about and I'm interested in. And it takes us back to this point about the okay I'm going to get social scientific about it the I'm going to get sociological about it the reification (laughs) of the numbers as they get kind of decontextualized and moved away from thinking about the error bars thinking about the context and then it becomes reinforces this is the thing and this is true and so we are helping I think to unpack that a bit and that's communication across disciplines between disciplines as well as to public. It always comes down to the idea that we do have to make a decision. And nuance does not foster making that decision, like yes or no, or this is you know the threshold we use, or this is the rule we have to follow. And if we don't have rules, we have chaos in society, right? Or maybe it's self-organizing. I, I don't know. I'm a population ecologist, but we have to have rules. And Subtlety doesn't lend itself to to a hard, fast rule. And so that's a really hard thing to navigate as a scientist is, well, we can make a reasonable prediction. We can put the error bars around it, but okay, now make a rule based on that. Yeah. And I've often felt happy. I'm not the one who has to make the call, (laughs) the policy on this. 
I love that. And I think Christy, by talking about not just there being rules that are created by people in power with authority, but that also kind of some emergent design as well, is we're starting to, to nod towards complex systems. And so human systems can be complex as well as natural systems. And then when we think about their intersection here, we have additional layers of complexity and temporal, geographic, and more complexities. I think that's a really interesting nuance of then the work that we'll be investigating further through the podcast. So this is going to be fun. I keep hitting my microphone. So (laughs) I'm going to gesture wildly through the course of this podcast. And so there may be big booms. (laughs) I always do. It's my MO. (laughs) I'm feeling sad that, that our audience can't see Rebecca's amazing array of outfits costumes to bring to this podcast. There might need to be some photos here and there that show the the next level of, dare I say, sophistication that comes or or fun that comes with this podcast. I'd say a bit of both. We're bringing sophistication and fun. Yeah. What a great mix. It's crunching. We're crunching the numbers and we're crunching the people. (laughs) And I'm excited to hear from experts who on particular topics are really exactly struggling and do deal with and negotiate and work through these issues in terms of that this is the evidence that they're finding this is what's happening and how then are they translating that Yes. Yeah, you're right. Like a a big strength of podcast goes way beyond us to say that we are drawing upon the expertise, the sense making of a broad array of, dare I say, like just different experts, different fields who are going to share with us their ideas. And I think that's going to help us as a group make sense of things uh, across disciplines, which is really exciting. But yes, we have amazing guests who are going to help us um, think through these issues. Yeah, maybe help listeners too. Thanks, Rebecca. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> We're vested in this. We were hoping that others become vested. <laughs> A listener. <laughs> Thanks, listeners. All right, hypothetical listeners. So we've bantered a bit, but next time we're going to get really into it. Next time we'll be talking to... Um... I love that you're like, next time. And then we're like, what are we doing next time? <laughs> Hold up. Where so that is still yet to be determined. We are not professionals, but we soon will be. We professionals in different senses. Yes, we are professional. We are professionals <laughs> at academics, but this technology is exciting and new to us. Not professional pa- podcasters. We are As learning podcasters. Learning and growing. Aww. I love that, you know, when we think about what's coming, moving forward, all I I really do see then as we talk with and think about the amazing sense making of our guests, when we think about then, how do we know, we come back to this idea of how do we know, how do we put forward what is knowledge, how does that knowledge stay the same and be reliable over time? And yet when and how does it change under what conditions? I think there are going to be some really interesting discussions we have over time to learn more and think more about data. All right, friends, this is How Do You Know? I think that was good banter. I think that'll be enough there. Yeah. There's something there.
This podcast is produced with the generous support of the Mozilla Foundation and the National Science Foundation, and with input from community members from Mozilla, the Environmental Data Science Inclusion Network, and our colleagues and students at Kent State University. A special shout out to Kristen Dowling and Emily Lacazano for managing our digital presence and branding. Music featured in this episode is Tired Traveler on the Way Home by Andrew Codeman and obtained from the freemusicarchive.org under a CCBY license. This podcast and its accompanying materials is also licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. Please share, like, and use our stuff. If you'd ever like to share feedback or ideas, please reach out to us on Twitter at CBALI. That's C-B-A-H-L-A-I. And that's it. So long till next time. Keep looking beyond the numbers.